Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. This year's Australian Open made as much news for suspending traditional Australia Day celebrations as last year's made for deporting defending champion Novak Djokovic. Except that immigration authorities were the ones who deported Djokovic last year, not just because of his open and notorious anti-vaxxer views, but because they caught him in an elaborate scheme to conceal his COVID status. By contrast, here is how Sky News reported on January 26, Tennis Australia's own decision to suspend Australia Day celebrations this year. The Australian Open has revealed it will not be hosting Australia Day celebrations and will overlook the national holiday while pushing inclusivity at the event. We acknowledge the historical significance and deep spiritual connection our First Peoples have to this land and recognize this with a welcome to country on stadium screens prior to both the day and night session daily. Tennis Australia said in a statement. Young people throughout the Americas forced a correction of the historical record to regard Columbus Day, October 12, 1492, not as a holiday to celebrate European discovery of a new world, but as a solemn day to mark European conquest of indigenous peoples. In a similar vein, young people throughout Australia are forcing a correction of the historical record to regard Australia Day, January 26, 1788, not as a holiday to celebrate European discovery of a new colony, albeit a penal one, but as a solemn day to mark Europeans dispossessing Aboriginals of their land. In fact, just as Columbus Day is now generally known as Indigenous People's Day, Australia Day is becoming known as Invasion Day or Survival Day because conscientious Australians are finally coming to terms with the untenable spectacle of taking national pride in what amounted to a cultural genocide. As it happens, I've been pricking the conscience of my white Australian friends in this regard for decades. This by arguing that it's easy for them to accuse white Americans of systemic racism from their lily-white haven down under. Because the passive nature of the relatively few indigenous peoples in their midst enabled them to sit rather comfortably on their high horse. But I always got under their skin by drawing uncomfortable but undeniable parallels between the way whites treat non-whites in Australia 
and the way whites treated non-whites in apartheid South Africa. Even so, I hasten to clarify that increasing restiveness among indigenous Australians has been doing far more to prick the conscience of white Australians than anything I ever argued. In fact, indigenous Australians had their Rosa Parks moment in 1972, when they marked Australia Day by setting up a tent embassy right on the front lawn of Parliament House, complete with placards demanding land reparations and sovereignty instead of welfare handouts. Remarkably, they've been marking Australia Day in that fashion every year ever since. But nothing demonstrated their new restiveness quite like the way they marked Australia Day 2012, because when they got word that then Prime Minister Julia Gillard was attending a ceremony nearby, hundreds of them decamped outside the venue and began shouting now familiar protest slogans, most notably, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. According to reports, their protest became so menacing that the police marshalled around 50 officers to form a protective scrum to rush her to safety. The headlines to those reports spoke volumes. For example, from the Associated Press, Australian Prime Minister loses shoe fleeing angry crowd. <laughs> From The Guardian. Australian Prime Minister is jostled by tent protesters. And from The Wall Street Journal. Gillard's lost shoe is returned amid storm over Aboriginal row. <laughs> A gesture which clearly indicates that the Aboriginals were not nearly as menacing as their oppressors feared. But I even put in my two cents with a commentary on that Australia Day 2012 titled, Australia's Aboriginal Spring has Prime Minister running for her life. The problem, of course, is that it has been over a decade and several Prime Ministers since that seemingly fateful confrontation. What's more, it has been over 50 years since Indigenous peoples set up their tent embassy. Yet the only redress they can cite is the way the Australian government emulated the Canadian government last year. Specifically, the Australian government agreed to pay hundreds of millions in compensation to Indigenous families whose children were rounded up throughout much of the 20th century for forced assimilation at boarding schools and church-run missions. But the vast majority of Indigenous Australians remain dispossessed and continue to face systemic discrimination and marginalization. 
This is why I'm afraid Indigenous Australians seem bound to fare no better in seeking further redress from the Australian government than Indigenous or Black Americans have fared in seeking further redress from the American government. And nothing is more discouraging in this respect than Australia planning a national referendum on whether or not to create an Indigenous advisory body just to discuss Aboriginal issues with the government. After all, you'd think the sight of Indigenous peoples squatting in tents on the front lawn of Parliament House would be a source of even greater national shame than the sight of homeless people squatting in tents along boulevards all over California. <laughs> but, far from deeming their tent embassy an eyesore to be dismantled, white Australians have come to regard it as a tourist attraction to be appreciated. <laughs> you know, like a friggin' national zoo. Anyway, I shall end on a more positive note by sharing that. Having served his anti-vax suspension, Djokovic returned to win this year's Australian Open on Sunday. It was his 10th victory at this Grand Slam, which puts his suspension last year into historical perspective, because it was also his 22nd overall, which ties him with Rafa Nadal for the most slams in the history of men's tennis. That's it. Subscribe for free wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for thought-provoking commentaries, often laced with humor, I invite you to visit my blog at www.ipjn.com Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye. Thank you.